Welcome back to A Time to Think. If you hear a little crackling in the background, it's because Brother Carl over here, Christopher Carl, that is, has been playing with a can of air and he froze a water bottle. And I think it's that's true expanding as we speak. Yeah, yep, that's uh, physics, physics yeah. in action. So that's Christopher Carl. I, I, you know, I, I told everyone maybe back in the holiday episodes that you're you're my favorite mixture of thinking and playful and. Here we are once again colliding all those in one. Yeah, podcast. yeah. It's uh, I I do things that some would question <laughs> my education attainments. But, some might uh, say you do that on purpose, you know, so you can be relatable. I just just do it. It's fun. So. It's Christopher <laughs> Tillman. Christopher is a, a pastor in Stevens Point, Wisconsin. Has been for a number of years. My name is Josh Holland. I'm a pastor in. Wausau, Wisconsin. Have been for a handful of years. Yeah, a little, little bit less years. Uh, I think it's been fun to learn and grow together, Chris, yep. and to pastor together, and now to do a podcast together, which was uh, was birthed out of the fact that we had a ton of conversations on Monday. So we'd preach on Sunday, we'd preach through our text, mm-hmm. we'd have a lot of conversations on Monday over lunch, and we'd have conversations about issues in regards to articles we've read or things we're noticing in the culture. And and what we thought is, man, there's some things we really have to talk about, and yet we just don't have the time to talk through them. And so we began this podcast, A Time to Think, which is a, a place for thoughtful engagement, careful engagement with important issues in culture and the church. And we've talked through human sexuality issues. We've talked through digital media, the holidays. And Santa. Now, we've talked about Santa. Yeah. Tom Hanks, yeah, and uh, Tom Hanks, Polar Express. So we've we've talked through a number of issues, and now we're in a series called a quality book, a quality book, the qualities of Scripture. And so far, we've tackled authority because God is Lord; His Word is Lord. Um, Actually, I think Bart would Bart disagree with that. The Word is Lord. That's probably bad theology. (laughs) Because God is Lord, His Word is authoritative. There we go. Okay, there we go. The the authoritative Word of an authoritative Lord. This Lord speaks truly because God is true. His word is true. This authoritative Lord speaks tr- truth clearly. Clearly. He wants us to know his truth, and so he gives us his truth. And lastly, his truth is sufficient. Sufficient. It is enough, right? Yeah. Um, I think that that word enough is it's kind of an interesting one because it's a very simple word, but someone cries out, that's enough. Or if someone mm. eats a meal and goes, I've had enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you think about it, what, what would be enough? You, know, you might ask your spouse that, what would be enough for you? And this word enough is crying out sufficiency. Yeah. And so the, the good authoritative Lord speaks true and clearly and sufficiently. The doctrine of sufficiency of scripture is one that I tease on the last podcast, I think is one of the most neglected. And maybe just we don't understand that scripture is sufficient. Sure. Um, what what might people get? Well, I guess first, what is the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture? So the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture has everything to do with God has told us what we need to know pertaining to who he is, pertaining to what he has done for us to live in this world a life that is pleasing to him. Okay. Who is God? What are the works of God? What do we need to do? Mm-hmm. Okay. So in terms of... Um, there's Furthermore, a, let me, I'm going to add one ooh. more thing. I'm going to add one more thing there. Um, and this ruffles some feathers. You see how he paused? For, yeah. 
He paused. I, he made us wait for it, but I, he's got something my, else for my, it. My neurological processes stopped temporarily. Uh, but the, this does ruffle some feathers, especially today. But the doctrine of Scripture's sufficiency also means that God no longer speaks to us authoritatively outside the words of Scripture. That when the book of Revelation was completed, we do not have any more authoritative words of God that have been given to us. And that even though God may work through certain means at times, and even though we may be led by the Lord in certain circumstances, none of that is to be understood as authoritative as the words of God we have in the 66 books of the Bible. So if we're thinking through the lens of the word enough, the end of Deuteronomy, you know, add no words to the book of the law, the end of Revelation, whoever adds words to the book of the law, is God saying this is enough and that is all. Yep. Right? So yep. there's a there's a closing of the canon is what people would talk yep. about. It's uh, The Lord is no longer speaking through apostles and prophets Correct. in that way. Um, you talked about what God has done, who he is, and what we need to know to live a life of faithfulness. And the first thing that comes to my mind, Chris, is an Old Testament word called, and New Testament word called covenant. Mm-hmm. It's a word that we don't really operate in too much in modern Christianity, I don't mm-hmm. think. It seems like an old word. Uh, but, but God makes a covenant with Moses at Sinai. He makes mm-hmm. a covenant with Noah. And Jesus, when he's describing the bread and the wine, calls it a new covenant in mm-hmm. his blood. And, and you might, in layman's terms, describe a covenant in exactly what you said. Who is God? What has he done? Slash, what will he do? What are the expectations? And what are the expectations yep. for covenant faithfulness? Meaning, God comes to me and says, I am the Lord. I will give you this. You will respond in this way. Mm-hmm. And, and so when we look at the scriptures, what we're saying is the scriptures are a covenant book in which God explains who he is, what he has done or will do, yep. and what our response to that yep. is supposed to be. And in regards to those things, we say scripture is totally sufficient. Yep. We do not need to look elsewhere for instructions on a life of godliness. Mm-hmm. We don't need to look elsewhere for instructions on who the Lord is. Mm-hmm. And we don't need to look elsewhere for what he's done, what his good news right. is. Are there any ways to pervert the doctrine of sufficiency? Could we make some up if there aren't? I think probably the primary way that people take sufficiency, and I hesitate to use this this word, but, you know, too far is that they may approach the issue of Christian living in such a way that says, I need not seek the Lord's guidance in such a way that it is specific and individual for my life. Because what happens... You kind of lost me there. Yeah. So... Basically what happens is is some people will take the doctrine of sufficiency of Scripture and they will look at excesses and they will look at things um, like happen in the Word of Faith movement where people regularly make statements like, God told me, God told me, God told me, God told me. And in an effort to preserve the integrity of Scripture's sufficiency, they will completely retreat from the idea that God would 
would personally direct or engage you, whether it be providentially or through impressions on your heart, however you want to call it. And people say, well, God doesn't do that at all. And so you're pretty much left on this isolated island of God dropped off a book for me to read. And this is it. Because we would also say that God helps us understand how we apply it, which right. is why so James instance, says, ask for wisdom. Yeah. God will give wisdom to understand how you apply scripture. I don't know if I've ever shared this story with you, Chris, but back in the day, uh, my wife and I were deciding between doing a traveling, I mean, I, I know I sought your counsel in this, but doing a traveling missionary thing, mm-hmm. it's like five years ago, uh, or staying at the news station. And we were asking God for wisdom, and mm-hmm. I just felt like I was beating my head against a concrete wall. Like I was, mm-hmm. God, how many times do I have to ask you for wisdom before you tell me what the wisdom is? Right. I was getting nothing, and for whatever reason, I thought it was it was almost in spite that I was like, fine, I'm just going to read your word until I get an answer. Mm. And so I opened up to Ephesians, and I read straight through Ephesians, and the word peace, it was as if the word peace was in 25-point font and the rest of the book was in 10-point font. Mm. It just was so clear. It's large print. He himself is our peace who has made the two one, right? Mm-hmm. And what that, what that is literally saying is that Christ in his body has united Jew and Gentile so that there is one Savior for all of the world. Sure. He's eliminated hostility. Um, that's the, the true clear meaning of the text. But what I felt the Lord doing with that text was to say, I need you to have peace no matter what you do, because Mm -hmm. I am your peace. And then we determined to do neither of them. Now, (laughs) the scriptures were not sufficient in terms of telling me not to take either job. Right. But they were sufficient in terms of preparing my heart to to such a degree that I could kind of eliminate some of these different worries that I was having, which then Mm -hmm. helped me see the situation clearly. Mm -hmm. And so that might be a helpful distinction. We talk about the, the word being sufficient. The word is not sufficient to tell a plumber how to plumb. Correct. Uh, but the word is sufficient to tell the plumber how to be a godly plumber. Yes. And um, so when when Second Peter one three says his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, then we believe he's given us enough. Right. He's given us everything pertaining to life. How do we get life? How do we have eternal life? How do Mm -hmm. we choose life and not death, as Deuteronomy 30 says? How do we live uh, in Christ now? He's given us everything to life, and he's given everything that pertains to godliness. Mm -hmm. How how do we operate in, um, essentially, as faithful children? That's the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian, is uh, the the non-Christian, their works their efforts, their achievements are in order to gain something. Mm-hmm. And the Christian, their works, their efforts, their achievements are because they have gained something, right. namely entrance into the family of God. And so we essentially, we work, but we work as children. Yeah. And, and so how does a child work? Well, the scriptures are sufficient to tell us, yeah. right? Um, what else comes to mind when you think about scriptural sufficiency? Um, I, I think, I mean, there, there are all kinds of things because... Any, any issues of counseling, whether it's pastoral counseling that we might do, or just how a, how a believer will share counsel, I'm trying to think of a synonym for it, but I guess just say it, counsel. Advice. Advice, yeah. yeah. Um, with, with, another, with another believer, is that whenever this is occurring, the, the Bible says that the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Hmm. The Bible says to um, speak 
truth in love to one another. The Bible says that as these things happen, the body will be built up into a mature being. Right. That the local church will experience this. And, and so when I think about scripture sufficiency, I think how important it is for each individual believer to be convinced that as they place themselves under the authority of God's word on a regular basis, they may be very surprised at the fact that because God loves to use his word, because, I mean, this is, it's the true words of God. God has given it to us as a gift. It's a, it's a good thing. God delights then to use that because it glorifies him. It highlights his glory, his person, that as this happens, a really remarkable thing occurs. First of all, you're freed up from having to come up with your own ideas mm -hmm. about things, right? So if somebody's asking you about what job to take, you may not have a real clear you know, picture of, well, you should take job A over here, job B over here. And the reason they're asking you is because they don't have a clear picture. Because they don't know. Either. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and so one of the things that I, I think there's a uh, William Cooper uh, wrote uh, him, God, God moves in a mysterious way. And um, it says something to the effect of that, you know, God is his own, his own interpreter. He will make it plain talking about the mysterious providences of God. When we think about big life decisions, these are things that seem mysterious to us up front. But I truly believe that because God has said to us in his word, this is how he has spoken. He's spoken to us in the Bible that, that as we place ourselves under that authority, not just individually, but within community, that these mysterious providences that we might have, you know, bewilderment over, as we let the word of Christ dwell among us richly, and I, I just, I need to emphasize the importance of community here. As we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, what God will typically do is he will help us make wise decisions that flesh out mysterious providences. So in the example of a job, you don't know job A, you don't know job B. Sometimes I think you ask the question about what school do I go to? You know, a, a, a high school student might ask, ask the question, well, which college do I attend? And I, I forget who it was. I, I heard a handful of years ago, it may have been Alistair Begg. It's probably um, Alistair. Did yeah, have, we, we love Alistair. <laughs> we have the accent. He doesn't. Mm. But, um, you know, we, <laughs> we, we ask the question about what school do we go to? We ask the question about what job do we take? And whoever it was, was Alistair or otherwise, made a point of saying, ask the question first, which community has a great local church to be mm. a part of? Because we know the things that are God's priorities. God's priorities may have very little to do with whether or not you get a degree in X, Y, or Z. Because those things at the end of the day end up being incidental. Because there's a clarity that is attached in the Bible, as we talked about the last episode. A clarity attached in the Bible to what God's priorities are for us. And so if we are submitting ourselves to the authority of God's inerrant word, which is clear to us, those things that are clear will help us flesh out those life decisions. So we think, okay, God wants me involved in a healthy local church that preaches the gospel faithfully. Well, here are a few different schools that I'm looking at attending. This 
seems to be one that has a, a local and, church. And it may that's... be that every mm-hmm. single school option has good local churches, sure. but what that advice has done is you are now looking for a church. Yes. You know, you you have drawn your eyes onto a more primary thing. And, exactly. Um, I think the distinction you just made, you're talking about making a wise decision, and I think usually people are worried about making the right decision. Sure. And so what, where scriptural sufficiency comes in is they, they may help you make a wise decision when there is no right decision, so to speak. Right. And that this particularly happens in terms of jobs. I think when, yeah. when I'm dealing with someone who really doesn't know what to do, it's oftentimes in terms of workplace. Yeah. And, and what, what I think – where I said I think scriptural sufficiency is undervalued or, or, or lost is because I, I think people don't know how to say – Wisdom gives me a framework within which to make the decision. Yep. But but oftentimes what we say is, well, the Bible doesn't give me the direction, so it, it's not helpful here. So I need God to yeah. drop a, a note in my lap saying you should do this, and, and that's so, not how God necessarily works. So then I'm going to Chris asking for direction. Right? right. What do I do? That's a directional question. Right. The Bible is often in the direction of wisdom, wisdom. where it, it, God is giving us sufficient wisdom in order to have a framework to make a decision. So here's here's one example, uh, and maybe people get frustrated when I do this, but generally if you come to me and you're asking which job to take, which city to move to, I'll take you to 1 Thessalonians 4.3. Hmm. Because usually the question is, what is the will of God for my life? I don't know what, I don't want to be out of God's will. That's the fear, right? What if I'm, what if I make the wrong decision and I'm out of God's will? And so, you know what what, what I, is the will of God for any of our listeners or for us? Oh, just let me, let me pause that for yeah. five seconds. So what I hear when I hear that, I don't want to be outside the will of God is, mm-hmm. oh, this is really not a directional question. There's a fear that you might either way, staying or going. Miss out. You might be wrong. Yeah. And so I go to 1 Thessalonians 4.3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Your sanctification. You just told everybody what the will of God is for them. Yeah. Good. Not no more pastoral counseling because <laughs> I just fixed everyone's problems. No, what, what what that does is I can look at them and say, "Is there a place you feel you might grow more or less to be like Christ? Mm-hmm. Uh, is there a a place you feel, um, or or I'll take them to Ephesians, like I told you earlier, which was so helpful for me. I'll say, look, Christ is your peace, and 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 peace doesn't always lead you to an easy decision, but you shouldn't be in turmoil." Mm-hmm. So if, if you're feeling turmoil, that's not coming from the Prince of Peace, Christ, who right. is your peace. So what that might mean is if you're feeling turmoil over both options, you need to know that either way, you're not experiencing peace unless you have it in Christ. Yeah. That job's not giving you peace. That job's not giving you peace. Christ will. Or if you're choosing between two jobs and one gives the, this gnarly, uneasy <laughs> feeling and the other does not, and it's not because like... Oh no, the gnarly uneasy one is thirty thousand dollars a year less. Right. But the, no, but you can just, <laughs> just happens to be that you can in your spirit sense a peace or a lack of peace. You go, oh, the scriptures are sufficient to give me the wisdom to say Christ is my peace, mm-hmm. and I can feel the peace in this circumstance. Uh, and so those are those are framework decisions where we're back to your distinction. The scriptures will not always help us make the right decision in terms of never making a bad wrong one with consequences. Yeah. but they they give us the ability to make the wise decision. And, and so as believers in that community that we're talking about, we should be, we should have our ears pinned back to see um, as this person is deliberating on a directional concern, something that's not clearly laid out in the scriptures, what biblical wisdom can I give them to help ease their mind? I mean, Mm -hmm. to think uh, 
our, our memory verse right now, or no, not right now because we're recording this. Our memory verse three weeks ago it was Joshua one nine. Right. Be strong and courageous, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is biblical wisdom for any decision. Yep. You know, and uh, it's a good reminder there. Unless you're not keeping the word of God in front of you, Joshua one eight. Because then you can't have confidence that the Lord your God is with you because you're not submitting mm-hmm. to his word. So this is, I mean, this is, this is where all these different things interplay when it comes to how we approach the Bible. Because if we simply say one thing about it and we don't hold the other things in, in high regard, we're going to miss the significant whole that we're looking at here. So we can, we can say, yes, God, and, and I think this is, this is probably a, a, an issue that a lot of people deal with. Because we live in a, and, and no offense, I mean, good friend of mine who's in our church likes wearing uh, scripture wristbands, mm-hmm. you know, kind of the live strong wristbands, that kind of a thing. But if, if we boil I down... Just wear a tank top so people know that I live strong. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> exactly two people just laughed at that. Two people, yeah. And I thank you for your service. Yeah, yeah, in- indeed. So when, when we look at this, we, we can oftentimes boil down to our relationship with scripture as a matter of kind of an out of context pearl of wisdom that we take for ourselves. And then it's like, okay, well, God's word for me is this. Well, hold your horses here because this, the, the doctrine of scripture sufficiency doesn't simply mean you can take a Bible verse, hold on to it and apply it for yourself because there is context that's important because if we simply say, well, God is with me wherever I go. So I'm going to leave this church and I'm going to go down the street to that church, but I know God, God is with me wherever I go. Well, hold your horses here. Mm-hmm. Let's look at what does the Bible say in the bigger picture. The bigger picture is, well, keep the word of God in total in front of you because that's what God enjoins Joshua to do is keep this whole book of the law mm-hmm. in front of you. Then you will be successful. Right. And, and so the success in view is not, you know, because sometimes people take Joshua 1.8 and say, well, it means I'm going to roll in the cash. Well, the success that's in view for Joshua is completing God's purpose for his life. Mm-hmm. So we need to kind of hold all these things in perspective. Then we can look at scripture and say, this will give me confidence as I make life decisions yeah. because I am seeking to honor the Lord as a whole under, and, and this is important, under the authority of Scripture. I'm not the authority over Scripture to take it and say, I'll make this mean what I want it to mean mm-hmm. because it's important for me and just attach a Bible verse to it. Which is something to we submit. didn't really get across in the clarity passage, but uh, but going back to our last episode about clarity, one of the things that the clarity of Scripture means is that in our Bible studies, we're not asking, what does this mean to me? Right. Now, we can secondarily ask, how does this apply to me? How does this right. inform me, particularly as someone who is living in this place and time with yep. this family structure? But the chief question in the Bible is, what does it mean? And, and that question should be the same if you are living in Reformation area Switzerland, right. Rest, Reformation era, or if you're living in modern America, or if you're St. Augustine mm-hmm. in the 400s. Like, it, what does it mean is a, is a textual clarity right. question. What is it, how does it apply to me is a secondary question you can mm-hmm. only figure out after, you know, so if yep. the Lord is with you wherever you go, that's sufficient to me, I'm going to go to a brothel. Right. Well, no, that's not, that's not sufficient because it's not in the context. Um, and so... I think you've you've hit on community a couple times. Part of the sufficiency of God's word is that it dwells in other believers so that, you know, I had a, one pastor say the gospel is more powerful in you than in me and the gospel is more powerful in me than in you because the gospel is meant to be spoken 
And so how often, Chris, is it hard to get out of our own heads, but when a brother or sister in Christ can speak the proclamation of the gospel, you are loved in Christ. Mm -hmm. God has loved you and gave himself for you. God will never leave you or forsake you. It's like, man, I knew that, but you said it and I heard it. And so in a community, that's where Colossians 3, you've quoted multiple times offhand is, let it dwell in you all, in yes, y'all, corporately. richly, yep. so that you can teach and admonish and encourage and sing together. And that happens through the preaching of the word. That happens through teaching it in, you know, let's say, Bible study. That happens in people just living together mm-hmm. in Christian community, where you might be encouraging a brother or sister if, if they're having a hard time. Encourage them with the gospel. You know, just speak gospel truth to them. It might mean somebody comes to you directly, deliberately asking for counsel, Mm -hmm. and you just share scripture. But you know, it's a it's a whole. We don't want to ever get the idea that somehow this is not pervasive because it is pervasive because scripture is sufficient. We can confidently hold on to it and apply it everywhere eagerly. Right. Like Psalm one says. If we meditate on the law of the Lord, we will bear fruit in season. I mean, how, yeah. what if we talked about the confidence that the doctrine of clarity gives us when we open the scriptures? What if the, the, the confidence, the doctrine of sufficiency, we open the scriptures and we say, not only can God give me all things I need in regards to life and godliness, mm-hmm. but God might give me something that I don't know what fruit it bears right now, right. but tomorrow, today, next week, the, the word that's been hidden in my heart might bear fruit that I don't even know. Yeah, like, I could be a means of grace to somebody else. Right. And so yeah. there's a confidence and an eagerness there. The, the last thing I want to get at here, Chris, just for the last few minutes, is the idea of Christian worldview as sufficient. Uh, and what I mean by that is, um, so Al Walters writes a book called Creation Regained. And he has some very simple chapters, creation, fall, redemption. Regained. Yeah, yeah. and and his... Basically, what he says is when we talk about creation, we tend to think of the earthly realm. That's what God created in the six mm-hmm. days. and Or we talk about the seven wonders of creation. We think about just the physical thing. Mm-hmm. And we sometimes forget about God's continuous creating activity, that, that Christ is upholding the universe by the word of sure. his power. He's holding all things together, that God both created and still creates. Mm-hmm. And therefore, God is not just a clockmaker who makes the clock and steps aside, but he's right. intimately... Working. My father is always working, Jesus said. Right. And so Jesus is is working. Now, where that is important, I think, for the doctrine of sufficiency is it means that every single thing under heaven, as Ecclesiastes says, Mm -hmm. every single thing, our parenting, our tradesmanship, uh, the, the reading of funny articles or serious articles, the watching of television, our recreation, everything in the created order is under the worldview that God has created things good and right. Mm-hmm. Sin has marred the good and right creation, right. and God is renewing the marred creation to be good and right again. Yeah. And so I think what we have to do is say that the, the Bible is not only giving us sufficient words, but a sufficient worldview to think, um, how do I parent my kids? Sure. Well, there's a, a big discussion, I think, in the past... 20 years about uh, how much choice you give kids or how much, essentially how much do you assume the goodness of a child? And when you, when you get into the topic of the heart of a child, mm-hmm. you are in theology and philosophy. And, and if we go to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs says the heart of folly is bound, is bound up, up in a child. In a child. Yep. 
okay, that's a biblical worldview. You're saying my, my kid who I, you know, you have um, a stable of children and you know that each of them is uniquely beautiful, right? And folly is bound up in each of their hearts. And that's a weird mixture mm-hmm. because you know that God has created them in his image and they're beautiful. And yet they are rebellious from the get go. Right. And, and you can't say, well, I'm only going to treat them as rebellious right. or I'm only going to treat them as good and beautiful. And I think right now the cultural tend is towards assuming the good in children. Right. And, For sure. and what does that do? It affects our discipline strategies. Mm-hmm. It affects our understanding of how much choice they get or mm-hmm. what they can understand or when they're rebelling. And so, we have to say the Bible has given us a sufficient worldview to look mm-hmm. at children and say, hey, this one rebel- rebels from about eight months. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or whenever, as soon as they're cognitively aware of my command, they say no to it. And why? Yeah, it's Not, a grid. We get a grid, basically. And you know, here's a, a real brief example from my own life. Um, I think it's common to see a, a child throw a temper tantrum, and the current response is they don't know how to regulate their emotions. Sure. It's not true. Okay. I, I've seen it clearly in my child when he throws a temper tantrum. It's right after I've told him no. Mm-hmm. He is he is the sweet little boy who I cherish with all my life is rebelling in his anti-authoritarian heart. Mm-hmm. And so my response to him is going to be colored by my view of his world. Is he not regulating emotions, in which case I need to be really sympathetic to him? Or is mm-hmm. he rebellious, in which I need to say, you will not rebel against me. Because we do not rebel against God. And we know, we know that he is being rebellious because God has spoken to us in a big picture perspective. He doesn't need to say, Thomas is being uniquely sinful right now because he's spoken to us clearly in a blanket capacity saying folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Mm -hmm. You know, every intention of man's heart is only evil continually from his youth. So God has spoken that to us. It's clear. It's authoritative. It's without error. So we can live saying this is just how it is and not have to worry about coming up with anything on our own. And I think that kind of helps take the pressure off, you know, for a lot of individuals who might be looking for that quote word from God saying, well, you know, I just, I I, I need to know, I need to know. It's like my, one of my favorite lines from a hymn, how firm a foundation Hmm. where, you know, the hymn writer says, how firm a foundation you saints of the Lord is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you? He has said than to you for refuge. Jesus have fled. Like you're a Christian. God has laid the foundation. Everything you need to know is in the Bible. It's pretty, pretty simple. Amen. And and the confidence there is to go there first and let the Bible and the, the biblical worldview inform everything else. Because like we've said, the Bible often doesn't give you clear directions on how to discipline a toddler. Right. You know, it doesn't tell you, do you take them up to upstairs out of public eye? Do you, you know, do you, mm-hmm. it doesn't tell you, but what it does say is Hebrews 12, discipline at the time seems painful, but it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness. Yep. So I have to use that biblical worldview in order to inform what discipline means, yep. you know, and, and that, that I think what my heart there is, let us be people who think the scriptures are so sufficient that our natural inclination is to say, I've got a problem. I don't understand something in this world. Let me turn first to the scriptures, see what the scriptures have to say to me, what framework yep. they give me. And then I can move maybe to some more specific instruction from yep. a current psychologist. One thing just, you know, to, to kind of finish out that thought and practicality I know for me, when I discipline my kids, I just, I make it very clear to them that I'm not following a game plan I established for myself. I tell them regularly, God's design for the home is Mm -hmm. X, Y, Z. If this is God's design for the home, I am under 
this same authority as you are. So if I'm disciplining you, it's not for any other reason than the fact that God has called me to discipline you because I also know as an adopted son in his family, he disciplines me for my good. So I can share that with you and we can know that together Mm -hmm. the authority we are under is God's authority, not our own. And now you're preaching the gospel because you've just given your kids a biblical worldview. said, you were created good by God. You naturally rebel against good authority and God is renewing us to see the goodness yep. of his authority. Boom, creation falls. And we get that all from scripture. Right. Yeah. Scripture's sufficient. Scripture's clear. Scripture's true. Scripture is the good word of a good Lord. So It is awesome. And it's great. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for taking some time to think.